was a quick one. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. If we have not met, I am Stephanie Haney. Uh, I'm the Director of Adult Discipleship, and this is up here. Yeah, I got this for a Christmas gift, if you're wondering. I didn't actually go out and buy one. There's a meme going around about that right now. Uh, but it is a great gift, and it will keep me, uh, keep me, you know, from not having dry mouth. There we go. There's the word. Uh, good morning. Hey, we are in a series right now called Bolo, Be On The Lookout. And uh, before we get really far into it, I want to do something this morning. I know it's snowy and it's cold and we're talking about looking out for other people. So what I want to do, do this, like get ready, here we go. Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to look around. We're going to look behind us, in front of us, and to the sides of us. And we are going to say good morning to people. And I want you just looking and being aware of the people around you. So go ahead, take a minute, and just look around, say good morning to somebody. I love it. I love it. Okay. I knew this was a risk. <laughs> I knew if I let you guys go, I, wasn't gonna, I might not get you back. Hopefully, I'm going to get you back. Okay, very good. You passed with flying colors, gold star. Now we're going to get a little more uncomfortable. Now we're going to play a game. And the game is called Either Or. And my only rule is that nobody can, like, not participate. So if when you were saying good morning to someone, you saw somebody alone, make sure that they get to participate in this game. But I'm going to rapid fire you some either or questions. And I just want you to... Just say what first comes to mind when I say either or, okay? Shake your head if, like, you got this. Okay, here we go. Coke or Pepsi? Oh, Coke. Are you kidding me? Okay. Oh, gosh. We're going to get into it. Okay, here's the next one. Dog or cat? Whoa. Wow, there's, that's a popular one. I can tell. Okay, anyway. Mount Rainier or Hawaii? Amen. Let's just all go. Church project in Hawaii. Okay. I know where I found this one. Cook or do dishes? Oh. Any dish any Any dishes out there? Anybody else? Okay. Here we go. Do not put me in the kitchen. Some people learned that last week at Alpha. Okay. Socks or no socks with sandals? Okay, that, um, middle schoolers have a really strong opinion on that. I found out during midweek this spring. Um, okay, and the last one, ghost hunting or Bigfoot hunting? <laughs> okay, good job. You guys did great. I actually had some intentionality around that little game that we played, and the intentionality was to recognize and see how we can attract to connect with people who are the same as us, who have similarities to us, who have the same thoughts and opinions, likes that we like, and dislikes that we like. Equally, though, we can repel, without even realizing it, without even being aware of it, we can repel and push away from people that have a different opinion or a different like than we do. So, for example... Um, if we say dogs and the other person says cats, 
Well, where do we go from there? All of a sudden, it's like this awkward silence as we don't know what to say next because we don't have that in common. So we begin without even, I think, really realizing it to move away from each other in those moments where we have differences. And what I'm going to get at this morning is this idea of polarities. And a polarity, polarities is this principle that everything has two poles. So good and evil, love, hate, attraction, disconnection, North Pole, South Pole. If you think of a battery, they have a positive and a negative. And what I didn't do this morning um, is I didn't ask you weighted either or questions. I didn't ask you the tough questions. I didn't ask you things, especially in the church world, around um, do you believe in speaking in tongues or not speaking in tongues? Do you believe that women should preach or women should not preach? Do you believe in predestination or free will? Do you believe in sprinkling or dunking in baptism? Spiritual or Christian, atheist or believer? Hymns or modern day worship songs? Sinning out loud or hiding your sin? I didn't ask those questions, <laughs> nor did I ask any kind of political question. Why? Why didn't I ask those questions? Partially because I am an empath and I'm really good at reading the room. And just now even, we went from this really high energy when we were laughing about dogs and cats to ooh, ooh, yeah, ooh. And it starts to feel a lot weightier. Now, for some of you, you were in debate club in high school, and so it wasn't weighty for you. You're like, bring it. Yeah, let's talk about it. Let's do this. But for a lot of us, it's weighty. And if you are a person that doesn't like conflict, you don't like tension, right? And you can start to read it in the room. You can start to feel it. And what you want to do is you just want to get out of there. Right? And I think what a lot of us do is this. We just put our head down and we quietly look for our pole. We quietly look for that place where people are like us, where they are similar to us. And we're like, okay, I'm just going to sneak over here, head down, and I'm going to stand here and hold on to my pole. Okay, and there's people around me and they're holding on to the pole. And now we're talking to each other and we're encouraging each other around our common values, our common beliefs, and we're building each other up. And there's a little bit of safety here, safety in numbers, power in numbers. Okay, all right, this feels good. And it does. That feels really good. Anything wrong with that? There is. The problem is Jesus. Jesus had something to say about this. And I want you to know I did not cherry pick this. This isn't something I just was like, oh, I'm going to write a talk and I need one verse and I'm going to grab it. This is a theme throughout scripture. But Jesus says it like this in Luke 6, 27 and 28. He says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Love your enemies. Now, if you're like me, you're immediately looking for uh, the escape hatch. My escape hatch, when I read this, well, they're not really my enemy. Like, I wouldn't call them an enemy. You know, they're just different than me. Eh, 
They're not my enemy. So as I was in the word and I was thinking about this, I thought I would look up the Greek word, and the Greek word is ekthros, the only word used for enemy in the New Testament. There's only one. Usually, like, love, there's, like, a million words for love. With this word, there's only one, and it simply means one thing, opponent. That's it. Your opponent. Someone who... Um, is the opposite of your views, your values, your beliefs. They oppose what you believe. Or if you're on a team, right, there's two opposing teams. Or if you're on the South Pole or you're on the North Pole, you're at the Dog Pole or you're at the Cat Pole, right? Anybody who falls under that category is considered by the New Testament definition, definition an enemy. And I thought it was interesting. I had this thought while I was thinking about this. And the thought was, it's, I have sat in a lot of churches and listened to a lot of sermons on who is my neighbor. And the question around, yeah, I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Well, who is my neighbor? But I don't know if I've ever heard anybody challenge me to think about who is my enemy? Who really is my enemy? Who really is that person or that group of people that oppose me? Who are they? And I would guess that if we're really honest with ourselves, which we may or may not want to be, but if we're really honest with ourselves, we could probably think of some people. It might just be someone we work with. You know, and when we, I think when we think of enemies, we think of like countries going to war, but it could be a sibling. It could be someone right in your own family. And I think a lot of times we don't think about who is our enemy for these reasons. One, what do we do? What do we do when we have opposite opinions, when we have opposite beliefs? We don't know what to do with that. If I say to you, oh yeah, I answered cats, and you look back at me and you go, I hate cats. Where do I, I don't know, I don't know how to respond to that. I don't know how to carry the conversation. It gets awkward, it gets uncomfortable. I don't know what to do, so I would rather just not have the conversation. Um, maybe we have different thoughts and opinions, and that stirs fear in us, right? If I'm like, oh, I know what that person over there thinks and believes, and I really don't want to go toe-to-toe with them. I'm afraid to have that conversation with them. Uh, on a lighter note, Steve and I, when we were early married, uh, we, we, I would get so excited because we were going on vacation. And if you know my husband, he's 150 miles an hour all the time. And so I was like, oh, good, we're going on vacation. <laughs> we're going to get to rest. Oh, no. Vacation just means, in Steve Haney's mind, pack as many activities as you possibly can into seven days. You can always rest later. And so year after year, this would happen. And it's the adage that when I got home from vacation, I needed a vacation. And that, that was OK for a while. But then after a while, I was like, I got to tell him. But I, I was afraid to have the conversation with him, not because I thought he would get angry, but because I thought he would say, okay, and then he wouldn't get what he wanted for a vacation. That was early on. I've since found my voice, and now we win-win. We so we do a few days of rest and a few days of activity. Um, but we might have a fear, and that might be a reason we don't have a conversation with people who oppose us. Maybe conflict of any kind stirs inner turmoil and robs your peace. So, um, again, probably a lot of us in the room, especially like going through COVID, right? Like even if we weren't directly involved, even if it wasn't like us on the front line, 
we still, I mean, a country, the country, we were just carrying this heaviness. We were just carrying this weight, all of us, spouses, people at work, people, nurses and teachers, like we were all just carrying this heavy weight. And it was because there was so much unknown and there was so much disagreement and there were so many loud voices. And, and we just, it just, it weighted us down. And so now we're like, oh, nope. Conflict, nope. Disagreement, nope. Like I'm running in the other direction. Um, maybe we're confident that we are right. And we like, you know what? I know that I know that I know I'm right. And because of that, because we know that we're right, we don't want to be with people of opposing teams because we feel like to do that is compromising what we believe or endorsing a behavior or a choice that we flat out believe is wrong, wicked, evil, or immoral. And so we're like, nope, can't, not, not gonna go there, not gonna do that, not gonna have that conversation, not gonna go to coffee with that person, whatever, because we're, we're afraid that we're gonna endorse, we're gonna be seen as saying to them or saying to other people that we're endorsing something that we have a different uh, belief or value around. And maybe we just don't have the time. You know, we're like, I don't know who my enemies are because I don't have the time and I really don't care. And that's possible too. The problem with all of those things is that here at Christ Center, we have become very, very intentional, very, very committed to looking at how did Jesus live his life? How did Jesus walk here on earth? What did he do? How did he do it? What did he teach? And then a lot of us in this room have committed to as authentically as we possibly can doing likewise. And so with that, the question really comes down to, if we're, if we're one of the ones in the room that we're like, yeah, I am committed to following Jesus, how did Jesus do this? How did Jesus deal with polarities? When you read about the life of Jesus, it is hard to read almost anywhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where right, right in the verses before or after Jesus, you see a group of people called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were this group of men, and they were like the morality police. They were in charge. They were, they were making the rules. They were making the decisions. They were making everyone else follow the rules and follow the decisions, and they had power. And... I would say it like this. They were like a thorn in Jesus' sandal. Like everything he tried to do, they were just there. He would do this, they would question it. He would do this, they would throw rocks at him. Like they didn't like Jesus. And so we, we have the polarity. It's set up for us. Jesus, the Pharisees. And before I get into the how, I want to just set up the tension because the tension came from some different sources and I think maybe we can relate, um, maybe even we can relate a little bit to the Pharisees in some of these tensions that we're building. I think a lot of times in polarities, there's just a lot of unknowns and when there's unknowns, it's like the tension gets worse and worse and worse. And so here's where some of the tensions came from. First, uh, the Pharisees did not like that Jesus was going around saying, I am the son of God. They didn't like that. Now, we can all like give, give reasons why we think that is the case. But let's imagine just for a minute that all of a sudden a man walks in here and he says, I'm Jesus. It's my second coming. I'm back. 
He just walked in the room, and we'd all be like, oh. And probably I'd look at Steve. <laughs> like, what do you think, honey? You know, like, all of a sudden, we don't know what to do with that. We don't know, right? Because it's new. It's something new that came into view in front of us, and now we have to try to figure this out. So they were in a season of figuring it out. But here's the thing. Jesus backed up what he said with miracles, with power. They were seeing these powerful, powerful things that were supernatural, no denying it. And so not only Jesus claiming that he's the son of God, but now he's backing it up. And that just amped up the tension because now they were like, well, we're supposed to be in authority. And now he, if he's the son of God, his authority trumps ours. So that's a problem. So that tension is building. Now jealousy has entered in. And then Jesus would go into what modern, like today would be the churches. He would go in and he would call out things that were not the heart of God within the churches. He would call them out. Well, they didn't like that. So more tension. Um, they also considered Jesus a threat. And listen to this one because I think we can relate a lot to this in our culture today. Jesus was a threat to their way of life for the Pharisees because the Pharisees were in partnership in a lot of ways with the Romans. So kind of the authority was like the Romans, then the Pharisees, and then the Jewish people. And the Romans like, were ruling over the Pharisees and saying, you need to keep these people in line. Keep them in line. And so Jesus shows up and all of a sudden he starts shaking everything up. Now the Romans don't feel safe. Pharisees don't feel safe. The Jewish people are just like, what? What do you think? What do you think? I don't know. What do you think? So all of this is going on, and that tension is just building. Jesus also was very offensive to the religious people of the day. Um, there's, there's an interesting um, thing out right now called, uh, like, shiny people or something, but it's kind of that idea of being all perfect on the outside, and yet there's a lot of ugly stuff going on on the inside. And Jesus walked away from the shiny people, and he hung out with the unclean people. And that really bothered the Pharisees. Um, and above all, Jesus challenged them on the Sabbath. And I think that uh, the Sabbath God had set up as a day of rest, right? It's a day that we get to unplug, we get to connect with our Creator, and we just get to rest. We get to let down, and we were made for a day of rest. But what the Pharisees had done has put so many rules on the day of rest that the people were like just giving up, like they couldn't do it. They couldn't check all the boxes, and so they were just giving up. And Jesus was like bringing back the Sabbath. He healed on the Sabbath. He did these things that really challenged the Pharisees, and they didn't like it. They didn't like it so much that they wanted Jesus dead. Enemy? Yes. Polar opposites? Yes. Pharisees and Jesus. Now, one of the Pharisees is a man named Nicodemus. I've taught on him a bunch. Um, you guys probably think I only read about Nicodemus. I do read about other people, but I just, it, it, he's intriguing to me. So here we have Nicodemus, and he is part of the Pharisee group. He is a leader within the Pharisee group. And so I want to read to you a little bit of his story, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about it for a minute. So John chapter 3 now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. 
Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now, if you're really, like, listening and paying attention to this, you're like, what? And you reread it, and you reread it, and you're like, it doesn't flow. It doesn't make sense. Like, it's two completely different things happening. And I think, Stephanie think, is that what happened is Nicodemus came in, and he... He was a leader, he was a ruler, and so he came in and he thought that he was going to command the meeting. And so he came in with his agenda. And I think Jesus had spent time with his father, he had spent time in prayer, he had spent time with God, because we read all throughout his life that that's what he did, he got away with his father. And I think he was prepared for that. I think he was prepared for Nicodemus. And You know how when we were going through all the stuff, COVID, even before COVID, there was like a lot of um, pressure in our country, and there were some trigger words. There were some words that like just got everybody, you know, anxious. And I think that Nicodemus, I think he's coming in and he's like, I don't know which way this is going to go. Either we're going to have a really good conversation and I'm going to get Jesus to kind of calm it down a little bit and we're all going to get along or it's not going to go so, so well. And I really don't, I don't know what Nicodemus, you know, I don't know exactly how he came in. But what he does do is he calls Jesus a teacher. And that could be a trigger word for Jesus because Jesus had already said, I am the son of God. So Nicodemus brings him from son of God down to simply teacher. Now, if you're in a conversation and you're kind of nervous about it because you know there's going to be some uh, disagreement and somebody throws a word, what happens, right? We just get like, we get anxious. Our like, heart beats faster. We just, we can feel something physical oftentimes happen in our bodies. And a lot of times that causes us to react and take the bait. Take it. You know, he could have said, he could have argued with Nicodemus about whether he was a teacher or the son of God, but that is not what Jesus does. Jesus completely flips the script. He completely changes it. And he tells Nicodemus something about being born again, and Nicodemus is like, what are you, so then Nicodemus takes the bait. He's like, what? What are you talking about, Jesus? Jesus goes on and says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Jesus, what he's doing right here is he's getting to the heart. He's getting to the soul of Nicodemus. Forget it. He doesn't need to argue. He doesn't need to brag about who he is. He doesn't need to prove that he is right. He knows that Nicodemus has a deep, deep need. He probably recognizes that need from having spent time with his father. And so Jesus is going deeper into what Nicodemus really needs, which is not to argue. So Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And then he says these words, which are also very confusing when you're reading your Bible. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. 
And as I was reading this and really thinking about this, this is what came to my mind. Wind does not succumb to the laws of man. We, don't, we can't make rules and systems and laws to control the wind and when it comes and where it comes. We can't do that. It appears as if wind is stirred by a force other than us. And it's the same thing that happens when we put our faith in Jesus, when we believe in Jesus, when we have received the gift of being washed from our shame, washed from our condemnation. We have entered into the kingdom of God. We've received that invitation of Jesus to come, and we've come into the kingdom. And all of a sudden, something starts to happen inside of us. And you can't even describe it like it's hard to describe the wind. But all of a sudden, we begin to go, oh, oh, mm, yeah, I'm convicted by that. Gosh, I used to do that all the time, and it never bothered me. And now, oh, yeah, hmm, that's, that's not right. Oh, yeah, God wouldn't, oh, oh, there's somebody over here, and they need my help. I really don't have time. Oh, I do have time? Oh, okay, I've got time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you with this. And all of a sudden, we begin to recognize this leading, this prompting, this calling that is very different from Stephanie. It's, it's, a, it's a different spirit, and it is drawing me to do these loving, kindly, godly things. And it is very different. If you have to work in a system that is man-made, you know. Man-made systems are messy. They are messy. They're painful. They're hard. They make most of us not like our jobs sometimes, right? And yet the spirit is this light uh, enabling and empowering thing that happens. And so I think Nicodemus is having this moment of like, oh, Jesus goes on, okay? So Jesus goes on and he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, he's, we know this verse, a lot of us, and his one and only son is Jesus. Jesus is saying this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus is saying, I'm not here to condemn you, Nicodemus, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear of their deeds or that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And what I'm envisioning happening here is this. You've got the Pharisees here, then you've got Nicodemus, and then you've got Jesus. And Nicodemus stands between, all of a sudden, he finds himself between these two poles. And I think what Jesus is doing here is the, the Pharisee group is Jesus' group. They're his tribe. They're his people. And all of a sudden, he's like, oh, I'm beginning to realize I don't believe the same as they believe. And so Jesus is gently saying to him, there's a reason they're still hanging out in the dark, Nicodemus. 
There's a reason that they're over there. But you, Nicodemus, came and had a meeting with me. Pay attention to that, Nicodemus. There's a reason why you are being drawn to the light. This series is called Be on the Lookout, and this is my point this morning. My point is that Jesus had enemies that wanted to kill him. They opposed everything about him. They fell on the complete opposite of everything that Jesus said and did. But when Nicodemus wanted to meet with him, Jesus made room for his enemy. And he didn't count Nicodemus out just because Nicodemus was part of the Pharisees. He didn't count him out. He didn't push him out. He didn't be like, no, you're the enemy. I'm not talking to you, meeting with you, hanging out with you. No. If I meet with you, Nicodemus, it's going to look as if I approve of what you Pharisees are doing. He didn't do any of that. Jesus met with Nicodemus. He made time for Nicodemus. I believe he prayed ahead of time for Nicodemus. And I believe that Jesus' heart was the heart of God, which says, I did not come to condemn, I came to save. I did not come to condemn, I came to save. And Jesus was willing to meet with one. And that one changed everything. And so our challenge this morning is this. We have to look at our hearts. We, have, we can't just ignore the opponent. We can't just put our head down and pretend that they're not there. So what is the posture of our heart? And you guys, I'm preaching to myself on this completely because if I think I'm right, I'm right. And I want, I want people to say, yes, you're right. They're wrong, you're right. I want to hear that. I want to be affirmed in that. I, I don't know why I really need that. I need to be told that I'm right. Because I'm right. And I'm really having to deal with this. And I'm ha my word for the year is surrender. And I have to surrender. Right or wrong, I have to surrender it. God's got me. God knows. I don't have to fight for myself. God's got it. But is my posture to be right or is my posture to love my enemy. And again, opponent, someone who just has a different opinion than me. What's my heart? Is my heart to be safe? That group over there is threatening our way of life. What's our heart? Is our heart to protect? Or is our heart to love those that are opposing us, that are different than us? Jesus said we were to love them. Lastly, from that section of scripture, Jesus said, whoever believes in me will be saved. Whoever. Pharisee or not. Nicodemus, we know, most likely believed in Jesus because he was there at the burial. He helped bury Jesus. He brought um, stuff to help with the burial. Um, there's other literature that says that, not in the Bible, but there's other literature that says that the Pharisees actually gave Nicodemus the boot after the fact. He was no longer um, allowed to be part of the Pharisees. So you can imagine if that was your whole world, that was your community, that was your life, your roots, everything you know. But Nicodemus gave it up and he put his faith in Jesus. Whoever believes, Baptist, Lutheran, Episcopalian, Christ Center, 
whoever, whoever believes in Jesus will be saved. Sinner, you know, opposite political party, whoever. Ephesians 5.1 challenges us with this, and then I'm going to read something and be done. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. It doesn't say, walk with our head down, avoiding those that oppose us. It doesn't say, walk over to the people that are like you and hold on for dear life. It says, walk in the way of love, just as Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. I'm gonna read my final words. These words are pasted on my journal. I have a journal of favorite words. I started it in 2018. And this is, this is taped strongly to the front of my journal. And this is from Ann Voss Camp, who's one of my favorite authors. And she says it like this. It's true at times. We often want others, hearts, to be a certain way, to beat a certain way, so that we can have our own way. How many times have I done this? It's hard to let people's hearts just get to beat the way that they are and safely hold them as they are. Sometimes we try to manipulate hearts to beat the way we want rather than letting people's hearts communicate what they need. And I'm with you. It really does take a lot of courage just to listen to a heart exactly as it is and not try to manipulate its beat. It's so tempting to drum our thinking into others instead of letting people march to their own drum. But I must remind myself and put this on repeat. We get to be like Jesus to people as they march to their own drum. And it's only Jesus who gets to change drums. Love bears all things like a roof bears the wind and the rain and the winter and the winds. Love is a roof. We can live all of this out today believing, and this is what I want us to walk away with, believing the opinions that we have don't make a difference like the love that we give. The opinions that we have don't make a difference like the love that we give. We can forgive, we can love big, and we can grant grace because Jesus has done that for us. So this morning, be on the lookout. Be on the lookout for those people that oppose you, those people that threaten your way of life, those people that believe very differently than you, those people that are at the opposite pole than you are. Look out for them. And I challenge you to take those people before Jesus and say to Jesus, what is it that they really need? How can I love them the way that you would love them? Amen? All right. Go out and look for people.